You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft clipping, high gain, amp in a box style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com, that's summerschoolelectronics.com, and check them out today. Hello, ho, 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 and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me week after week. It seriously means the world. I cannot believe that I get to do this. It is astounding. And I tell you, this episode is one of those pinch me moments. I've had so many now that I think I'll, am I in some weird sort of dream, some sort of weird interdimensional travel that I'm going to wake up from and just be in a floating tank of goo, and I'll be like, put me back in, put me back in, put me back in. I don't know. It's possible. Allow me to explain. So Big KO, one of this podcast's favorite guests, one of the guests that I've gotten the most feedback on, the most messages on, the most comments on, etc. He asked me, would you like to get Eddie Martinez on? I was like, oh, Wow. Okay, this is a big deal. Eddie has played on so many songs. So, so, so many songs. Most importantly to me, on a personal level, would be the Bad Out of Hell sessions with Meatloaf. That was extremely, extremely important to me. Not only as I heard those songs growing up, but as I kind of came into adulthood and struck out on my own, those those songs held a very, very special place to me that I explain on this episode. But also, Rockbox, a song that changed music forever. Too many things to list on this intro. We try to go through a giant majority on this podcast, and we, we don't even scratch the surface, to be honest. Also, Big KO is on this one, and it's perfect because he has a much more vast knowledge of this era of music than I do specifically of Eddie's work. And so it's kind of like a double interview situation. I'm interviewing Eddie. He's interviewing Eddie. And it's just, we talk about gear. We talk about the time. We talk about everything. This is such a special episode. It's one of those special episodes. It's, It's right up there with talking to Mike Mitchell from The Kingsman, which is also, if you have not heard that, Go back. I interviewed Mike Mitchell from the Kingsman years ago. You got to go check that episode out if you have not. It's a, it's a, wow. It's just something that, again, one of those pinch me episodes. It's one of those. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. 
Eddie and I had an epic conversation on our own about gear specifically and what he's using today on the Patreon. I mean, this is just an insane thing that happened. An insane thing that happened. And I hope that Eddie and I get to hang out in person and nerd out to the fullest extent one of these days. But for now, this is just, it's so good. Wow, I went on for three minutes talking about how good this is. How about we just get to the episode? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have Mr. Eddie Martinez, and returning, one of the... uh, Best guests of the last couple of years, Big KO. I can't tell you how much feedback I've gotten on our episodes because I released the Patreon publicly. Yeah. Dude, so many people love that episode. So I'm stoked to have you back. And uh, this is just going to be a good old nerd fest, I think. This is going to be a good time. Thank you for having me. here, man. Thank yeah. you. So, Eddie, so you, you know, I've done some research on you, and obviously a lot of people have heard you over the years, but maybe you give a. Give people the highlight reel of the, your most notable tracks that you've worked on, because it's it's a long list and it's hard to cherry pick, you know. But what are some of your top favorites that stand out for you? Oh man, you know it's like I've been I've been really fortunate that I've played on on some some records that have really been kind of the seminal records over the last forty years or so. Um, you know, I would imagine you know uh, 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 Rock Box by Run DMC, King of Rock, Run DMC. Absolutely. Addicted to Love, Robert Palmer, Simply Irresistible, Robert Palmer, um, Sisters of Mercy, you know, this corrosion, uh, a lot of Jim Steinman records. I do anything for love, but won't do that. The Meatloaf uh, uh, Bat 2 album, um, David Lee Roth, Crazy from the Heat, Steve Winwood, you know, all those records. And then um, uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto, who's a brilliant Japanese artist, uh, mm-hmm. just, you know, brilliant composer. And uh, he has a wide range of music. And those have been, you know, great highlights. And then Jagger, too, man, on She's the Boss. Oh, so some, these are, some guy know, named Jagger. Who's that? Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those been those been really great moments. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that, that called for different things as, as a musician. Yeah. I mean, so the, it's funny for, for me personally, and I know everybody's going to have their hits, right? But, like, there's a special moment in this house when – my wife and I first got married. We came here. We got like all our TV and everything set up for the first time. And it's not when you move into a new place, even mm-hmm. though it's yours, it kind of feels like a hotel for a while. Yes. It feels oh, kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. Yes. So like, like, but to like break in our house, we would just crank meatloaf like oh, wow. every night for like, I don't know, for like weeks. We would just play meatloaf just nonstop. And just sing at the top of our lungs. And I was always thinking, of course, me being me, I'm like, man, these guitars are interesting. Like, you know, like everyone thinks about the the power ballad aspect of it. But like the actual guitar tones on that song are pretty, pretty massive. What were you using? Oh, wow. Oh, man. When, when you work with uh, Jim Steinman, who passed away, uh, I think earlier this year, um, uh, there was uh, the possibilities were just so limitless. It, it, you know, so I mean, I bring I bring down my entire arsenal, and sometimes I'd have like five half stacks just blaring, 
in Studio mm-hmm. A at Power Station. And oh, I think when I first started working with Jim was uh, on a Bonnie Tyler album uh, and uh, did this song. Uh, the first song I worked on with Jim was a song called Love and Use a Dirty Job, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> 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 and um, the, the the track had been cut. And I heard through the grapevine that, you know, uh, that I should I should reach out to him and his, his assistant because he, he was looking for a solo on this track. So I reached out to his assistant, Don Kettler. And, uh, I says, I hear you guys are looking for, you know, like a solo for this track. And, you know, I, I'd love to do it. And initially he said, you know, well, no, I don't know anything about that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so sorry. You know, then a few days later, I get a call back from him again saying, when you can, when can you come down to the, uh, to power station? So I, I brought all my big guns down there, man. I brought my 58 Stratocaster and I brought some <laughs> other, you know, guitars. And I wound up using a 58 Strat through, I think it was um, uh, either uh, two or three heads and five cabinets, you know. And I just cranked Whoa. that up. And I think I had a dirt box in front of it, too, you know. And it just sounded really enormous. And that was the beginning of our, our relationship, you know. And Jim just loved what I did. Because I was just like, you know, I was just being me mm-hmm. and and just trying to play big and soulful notes, you know. And um, he loved that. So that began our association. So I worked on his Pandora's box and worked with him, geez, I mean, just on a bunch of things. And then we did Bat 2, you know, Bat mm-hmm. Out of Hell 2, if I, 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 I would do anything for love. Um, and on that, I used... Um, Oh, man, it was a combination of things. But I do recall I used, uh, I had a, a Yamaha that I was endorsing Yamaha back in the, uh, let's see, around 90, 91, I was endorsing mm-hmm. Yamaha. And they built me these one-off Pacificas, you know, and it was a purple, I used a purple metal flake Pacifica and also a platinum metal flake uh, wow. Pacifica, which I still have, actually. And I used that. Um, and a bunch of different amps. I think I was still using my uh, Bradshaw system. I had a Bradshaw system that I was, uh, you know, um, had uh, custom audio preamps. Also had Marshall amps in uh, in in a in a relay that bypassed the loops, just went straight into the front end. Mm-hmm. And I was using either um, uh, oh H and H the V the V eight hundred V H eight hundred. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, MOSFET uh, power amp, and then um, I was using the um, oh, she's the um, what's that other company? Um, the name eludes me right now, uh, but I, there was another preamp, but it was loud. That's a lot, and yeah, I was really happy with. I, man, I used uh, custom shop strats on that. I used Pacificas. I, I had some hamers. I had a uh, my hitmaker uh, red hamer that uh, I've had ever since I was with Blondie, you know, and um, you know that was on there as well. But that purple metal flake um, uh, uh, Pacifica uh, used uh, at the top because there's a there's a beginning. Uh, if you listen to I do anything for love, I won't do that. There's a whole opening at the beginning that's just like a sonic pastiche, yep. you know. And that's that's all me doing guitars and just doing crazy, you know. And uh, yeah. Oh, I also used um, um, a, 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 a Pensa Sir that uh, um, that uh, John Sir before he 
formed his oh, own company. He used yeah. to work. He used to he, he used to work out of Rudy's guitar stop. And back in the way back in the day, back in the eighties, he built me a he built me a one off carf top strat thing that was stolen, you know. Oh. Um but I used that on that track too. So there are a lot of guitars on there, man. And, um, it was always in a, it was always exciting working with Jim, you know, because you'd start like around, you know, you, the sessions used to start around midday. Then before you know it, sessions are starting at seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at <laughs> night, going right, right, uh, right through breakfast, you know. So um, yeah, that was a lot of fun working with Jim. He's missed, and so is Meat. Meat was a lot of fun, man. Oh man, yeah, Great. that was that was sad, but. You know, great music, great memories. Then so just, just to jump in quickly, Eddie, on on those particular sessions, and when you're working with a producer like Steinman, were you getting after the session? Was he sending you home with like a rough mix to to listen to, or did you have to wait for him to do all the orchestration and um, get the final mix done? Like, when did you get like final copies of of that that record? Um, uh, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff was cut live. Yeah, oh, the bat, bat two was cut live. We cut a lot of that in Studio A with. Um, did he uh, did he give you like cassettes to go home with or, or dat tapes or anything to listen to, or did you just had to wait till the record came out? <laughs> you just wait till a session. You right, know, right. yeah, that was part of the gig. You know, you you, you call get called for a session. You don't know what you, you don't know what it's going to be. You know, sometimes there's charts written. Sometimes you just have to write a chart yourself. You know, and. Um, and the thing with with Jim's tunes, they were long. I mean, they were like six or seven minutes long. So you had to write a, a really uh, complete kind of uh, roadmap where the, the track was going. Sometimes sure, and, 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 and you had to go there and do it a lot of times, like you said, on, on the spot. So uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I find that that's remarkable. I mean, because in those oh. days, the tape is running. When you get to the studio, setting up your stuff, and, and when they when they say Eddie, it's time to rip your ideas kind of have to be formulated. It's not the luxury that producers and guitar players have now and recording in their house. And like uh, when you would get a call, I mean, you would, you said you showed up with an arsenal and uh, that's, that's yeah. super inspiring. Cause it's like, what do you bring to make history like that? In retrospect, you know, years later, you, you, you might've been like, Oh, I wish I would have brought this guitar, or brought that guitar, but it was <laughs> what it was. You had those guitars, those amps and those pedals and what you yeah, put on you know, tape. I would, bring, I would bring a, a, a really big cross section of what of what I had. So the thing that that when you're doing sessions, you, you never know what what it's going to be. You never know what you're going to need uh, because, uh, you, you know, if you're serving the song, the song may be calling for a Telecaster, sure. you know, it's calling for a Les Paul or a Strat or something in between, you know, a Gretsch. So I would bring right. I would bring Gretsch 6120s. I would bring Jazz Masters. I would bring Les Pauls, Stratocasters. I would bring the Bradshaw system that that uh, Bob built for me and John Sir. They both collaborated on that for me. Or I'd bring Tweed. I had Tweed Deluxes and Tweed Pros and, you know, 50-watt Marshalls. You know, I mean, just whatever you need because, you know, it, it, it's all about what's appropriate for the song. Mm -hmm. You know, I was that's the way I look at it. I was going to say, like, another big contrast to recording today is you know you bring you come into a studio and and you got a deluxe reverb and you turn it up to four and the engineer's like hold on hold on that's a little bit too much you know <laughs> like, like we're gonna we're gonna need to tone that down and it's like man you you're getting 
marshals all raging in there and everything. Oh, it had to have been just interesting. Are you experiencing that now that engineers are telling you that it's too loud? You know? Oh yeah, but it's not. It's like barely even going. You know? Wait, it's not. See, that's the that's the funny thing because when I first started doing sessions, that's what I would hear. You know, because mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day when I was first starting out, I would do sessions for nothing, just for the experience. Right. I needed the experience of what? Okay, I'm dialing up this sound in the in the in the studio. How does that translate in the control room when you're listening back? These are things. These are valuable things that you need to learn. You know, nowadays people are just plugging into modelers and, and, you know, everything's on stun, you know, and, and, you know, an engineer doesn't have to really worry about, you know, the level that much, either giving mm -hmm. them a little bit or more, but the sound is ostensibly it's, it's there. It's like, you know, you know, but back in those days, you know, and I think it was a bit more rewarding to be honest with you, because you had to, you had to search, you had yeah. to, you know, you had to search for the, for the vibe. And that meant a little ex experimentation, maybe taking a little bit more time on getting tones. I mean, back in the day, I remember, you know, the first day of a recording session was drums were getting sounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And drums were getting sounds for most of the day for big rock sessions back in the day because they, they were searching for there was mm -hmm. they were searching for a sound that was going to be unique. It was not something out of a box. You know, so they'd be working and experimenting with getting things and then they'd work on of all the other instruments respectively until you had a until you had something that was really cohesive. So, yeah, it was a lot more blood, sweat and tears involved in getting to that point. But boy, it was so rewarding. Mm -hmm. It was so rewarding. Now, nowadays, it's, it's you know, and I don't mean that uh, what's new isn't as good. Right. It's just, it's just different. You know, and what 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 the younger generation are doing with, with the tools that they have, they're doing some incredible things too, sonically as well. In terms of the what's going on in the world of digital recording, and uh, you know, all the infinite possibilities that gives people, you know, rel relative to editing or or whatever composition. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's really it's it's it, it's all good. Yes. Uh, you know, and and uh, I just come. From sensibilities that come a little differently that, uh, you know, I have to feel it a bit more organically, you yeah. know, for it to be relevant, uh, um, for me. Yeah. I've been fortunate that I've gotten to dip my toes in, in both worlds. The first actual record that I recorded, we did it very old school minus we didn't record to tape, but everything else, you know, we did, we spent the whole day getting drum sounds and placing mics. And, and then I brought at, at the time, what I thought was a ridiculous amount of gear, um, and now I've, cause I brought basically everything I owned and now mm -hmm. I've got like probably eight times that. So I, I guess, <laughs> I guess what, what is ridiculous, but I, I did do all that, but now I am a little lot more in the box than I ever thought I would be. And what I'm realizing about both approaches is that they feed into each other. And if mm -hmm. you understand the quote unquote older way of doing it, it gives you an idea of how to work in the box better. And it also makes you realize what's great about recording all digitally where you can do things digitally that are literally not physically possible. You can exactly. take a, a, a Benson reverb spring reverb unit and put it on the whole mix if you want, Yeah, you, which you can't do in real, in real, the real world, quote unquote. So mm -hmm. it's, it, I think they, they do, they feed into each other and it's about finding what works more than just being fixed on any one method. Yeah. yeah you know, for example, what I'm doing right now, I'm working on uh, an EP that I hope to put out in Q1 of, of 23. Oh, sweet. And basically it's tracks that I cut back in the 90s, in the mid-90s, around 96. And all that stuff was cut with Jason Corsaro 
um, who was a dear friend of mine that passed away about five, six years ago. And he's responsible for, you know, the power station drum sound, the addicted to love drum sound, public image limited, um, sound garden, you know, Robert Palmer, you mm-hmm. know, you Elvin Jones. I mean, the, the whole broad spectrum, the Peter Gabriel, I mean, just an incredible, innovative, groundbreaking engineer that, that left us way too soon. I feel that he's been overlooked in terms of his significance and, you know, everything from Madonna, you know, like the, like a Virgin album to, to, you know, uh, aha, or, you know, or <laughs> you know, and everybody in between. So, you know, he was a good buddy of mine. So we caught these tracks and I've got Jack Daly on, on, uh, some tracks. Uh, Jack was from, you know, played with Lenny Kravitz for years. Now he's out with some other people. He's got his own studio. He's a great bass player and a drummer by the name of Tony James, um, that's out of, uh, Nashville. And he played on these tracks and he's a New Yorker too. So we caught these tracks in New York and also have Alan Childs, uh, you know, who's a great drummer played with Bowie and, you know, and Julian Lennon and out on tour right now with John Waite. And, you know, he's an old buddy of mine and played on my first solo album, you know, and, you know, they played their butts off on it. So I was able to get this stuff in analog, transfer it to Pro Tools sessions, mm-hmm. you know, and build on that. So there's a lot of, you know, you know, slab board Stratocasters on there, you know, 56 Les Paul Juniors, you know, 52 gold top conversions, you know, on that. And so it was right when I made that pivot from going to pointy guitars to going to like the real, you know, <laughs> and, and some, some real kind of, you know, having a Strat sound like a Strat and a Les Paul sound like a Les Paul. And, and, and so I was doing that. And so right now I'm revisiting these tracks and I'm fixing things that, because, you know, 26 years is a long time and I'm a much better player now than I was back then. But right there, you have to offset, well, gee, there was a, there was an energy that's undeniable on that. So I have to really pick my shots as to what I want to change. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I've been doing in a small studio that, you know, has a small room is just like, it's not, it's not the optimal place to, to, to bring in stacks and big amps. So I, I you know, I, I just got the Fractal, uh, you know, FM9 and been messing around with that. And I've got some smoking sounds coming out of that to augment what I have. So I'm embracing the new for stuff that was cut like, you know, you know, 26 years ago. And I'm having a fun time doing it. It's really, you know, I'm having a hoot. That sounds that sounds very, very interesting. That's such a, a wild thing. I bet when you originally cut cut those tracks, you're not like, I'm going to put this out 26 years later. Like I what know. happened that, uh, that put the pause on that? Hi. I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations and 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie?
How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. That's a good, you know, it's like, well, basically what put the pause on it was I uh, was hoping to get a record deal from it and a record deal didn't materialize. So I just left it on the back burner. The tapes were at Jason's house, you know, and uh, after he passed, his his uh, sisters found it for me and, and gave it back to me. You oh, know, wow. Really grateful, you know, to them for that. You know, so it was just an opportunity, you know, like. You know, you make an investment in yourself, really, what it was at that time. And it didn't pan out. And I needed to get back to work, you know, doing things, put food on the table, you know, so get back to sessions and doing whatever touring was available and all that. So mostly at that time, was it was session. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. <clears throat> so fast forward to now, are you planning on putting this out yourself or using a good distro kid type thing? Or what is your yeah, plan? You know, I'm putting it out myself. I, I released an album around three or four years ago. Um, you know, on my own label, mm -hmm. you know, and you can, you can find it at, you know, iTunes and Amazon and uh, CD baby, you know? And, uh, so, you know, that's what I did. And I, I love doing that cause I didn't have to, I didn't have to answer to a record label and I just put it out there in the ether, you know, and, um, and let people know about it and, you know, and, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a fun experience and I'm looking forward to doing that again. Yeah. Absolutely. That is the, that is something that I say is like a hundred in my opinion. I, I've only known this way, really. But to me, the ability to put out your own stuff now is so crucial. And it 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 honestly because like you said, you were hoping to get a record deal. But putting out a record back then was an expensive and difficult thing, even after it was recorded. Well, yeah. you needed that support. You can't just click a button you know, and, and yeah. get it out there. Yeah, back in, back in the eighties and the nineties, uh, it was, it was an entirely different landscape. And right there at that point in 96, I think that the, that the world kind of shifted relative to, um, uh, making records and record labels and budgets, because back in the day, you know, uh, the budgets were, you know, I mean, anywhere from, you know, $350,000 on up. I mean, the meatloaf wow. album was just an, an astronomical budget to make that record, you know, but they sold records, you know, so everybody's happy, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I remember, you know, I had a band with Tony Thompson of Power Station and Bernard Edwards of Chic and Power Station called Dick. And uh, we put that out right around in the cusp, you know, uh, came out in 89, you know, um, it, it just... We came, it came out and the record label didn't support it the way we had hoped that they would because there was so much excitement about it. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, you know, it just, it just didn't pan out, 
it just didn't pan out. But I'm really proud of that album that we made because it's it's killing. It's yeah, killing. That, that was an amazing album. Uh, oh, thank you, man. When, when you said uh, Tony Thompson, my eyes lit up because uh, I, I just wanted to just throw it back a little bit. Tony Thompson, Bernard uh, Edwards, Nile Rogers, Chic. It's it's the New York sound. Eddie, you was you were there uh, at the forefront. He was one of those New York cats, like those musicians that we had talked about it last year with <clears throat> me, you, and DMC. But yes, yes, those guys that were playing, and there were so many bands in, in Queens and in New York in that area. But uh, Tom Brown coming out of Jamaica, yeah, Willie Williams, who you, you talked about before. Oh, Lenny White, uh, yeah, Lenny White. Excuse me, um, Weldon Irvine. Yeah, all this, all this great talent come out of Queens. Now, at, in the '76, you were playing for LaBelle on yes. the road, correct? Yes. Did you play on that record, or, or was it just the road stuff? Um, I played on the last album that they made called Chameleon. Right. And uh, you were how old when you cut that record? Oh, I was uh, 23, 24, <laughs> around that. And if I'm not mistaken, you were, you were on Soul Train uh, behind that. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. Actually, I did Soul Train uh, two times with LaBelle. And <laughs> that was an ex that was that was okay. That was hold that, hold that. Okay. What was it like being a 23 year old in in 1977, living the dream, playing on Soul Train? Dude. With LaBelle. Can, can you just can you tap into that day or that filming? Oh yeah, yeah. I um we did uh, we did Soul Train in in seventy five and we did seventy six. So, I was born in nineteen seventy five. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, was, uh, let's see. In seventy five, I was um twenty two, about to turn twenty three in it, September of that year. So what well, it, it was the. Man, the first show that we did, that I did with LaBelle, was the Cher show. And that right, was Cher had a variety show. So we went there, we went to LA um, to do the Cher show, uh, Don Kirshner's rock concert, and also Soul Train. And I'm sh and all of these performances are, are definitely online. I, I have to look them yeah, up. Yeah, that's over there, yeah. And I had yeah. my 50 Unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> I know what I'm doing after this episode's to, over. <laughs> but to, to be young in the '70s, coming from where you know, coming coming from the South Bronx, and now you're in LA, you're playing with LaBelle, who at that time she's still Patty LaBelle from Bluebells, oh, and they were amazing. Like, had to be mind absolutely mind blown. Well, it was. I'll tell you why. Because those three women are powerful artists in their own right, and they were really true to themselves relative to what they were doing artistically and yeah, visually. they were taking no mess from no one. Oh my mm -hmm. goodness. And they, every night was a clinic. Yeah. Every night was yeah. a clinic what to do and how to do it. Patty it was, LaBelle, Nona Hendricks, the great Sarah Dash, rest in yeah. peace. Yes. Uh, LaBelle, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, that's a question I wanted to ask you because when I was 23, I was just breaking into the business. I was starting to produce records, but it was in the in the um, late '90s. It was way different. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even I couldn't even imagine being on the same stage with Don Cornelius 
Uh, who else? Do you remember who else was on that particular show with you guys? Um, who the other guests were? I, do, I think the f- first, I don't remember anybody else on that taping right. uh, that we did it. But I do remember um, the second time we did it, which was in 76, uh, was that I, I met Minnie Riperton. Oh. Because she was going to be doing, uh, you know how they shoot shows? They just sure. like, you know, artists after another and they kind of cut around it and stuff. Uh-huh. And they, you know, and I, I met her briefly and I was an enormous fan of Minnie Riperton. Oh, I man. mean, you know, uh, she was just amazing. And like, the, like that's that like, that's like, the question, like little questions. Like I sometimes I want to text you and bother you about it. Like I'm not going to bother about it. But just hearing stuff like that gives me goosebumps. So what was it like to go back? <laughs> just to, we're going to pivot from Soul Train real quick. But what was okay. it like to go back home? Because I'm sure that's taped. And then um, it's, it airs probably a couple weeks to months later. Did you get yes. a chance to see the, the, the airing of Soul Train with your family? What, what was your family's response to now, well, you, know, you know, back back then, man, we were. I mean, with with LaBelle, man, we were always working. We were always hitting. So you, you know, never got a chance to see it televised. Most likely, I probably missed it the first time it aired. Right. You know? But my my brothers, you know, and my parents, you know, it's like, I mean, my dad had to, you know, save up money to get me my first guitar, man. It's just like yeah. I just didn't walk into a store and get a guitar. Sure, sure. I I, I wanted one. You know, and he had to save up for that. So that made me really feel good that my parents, my mom and dad, who totally supported me, they 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 let me do gigs at 16 years old, get, coming back home at 2.30 in the morning on the D train. Yeah. Wow. Know, same you know, here. So, same here. So I was coming home on the A, all the way back to Far Rockaway, last stop on the A train, first stop wow. in your car. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's what feels so amazing. Because I, I was that same kid that we talked about it before. I begged my parents for a guitar on the um, Christmas of '86 because of the riffs that you played. Like, oh. like literally, like there, there was. I, I had to. I remember playing the um, King of Rock video for my dad in the VCR. Like, see, I want a red guitar. Oh you know, man, just, you know, just like his. And you know, again, my parents had to save for that. And and again, my dad got that guitar from Sam Ash and Carl Place in Long Island. There wasn't yeah. Sam Ash's and guitar centers all over the place at that time. Uh, you know, it, it was it, that was it was a one shot deal. And, and I got my uh, my Hondo Strat replica. It wasn't red, but mm-hmm. you, couldn't, you couldn't tell me I wasn't Eddie Martinez on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> so flattering man it's like you know it's it, you know it my parents were so happy they they were they they saw you know their investment kind of paying off and me doing some really cool things and and um you know eternally grateful for them you know because they're no longer here and you know and um it's just uh, uh it's just amazing that 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 dedication to me i was able to kind of show them i did something with it you know and uh, and and my brothers too. It kind of like gave my brothers tell me that you have no idea how inspiring it was for them to see me, you know, and inspire them to pursue their things. And my brothers have been extraordinarily successful in business and in life. And, you know, and, and that's something that me and D talk about all the time. How inspiration works both ways. Because you know, when I was a kid, Eddie, there was nobody that looked like me on MTV. So to see you coming through. Puerto Rican cat with Afro on top of Cadillac with Run D and J. It changed mm-hmm. my trajectory. And honestly, you know, coming up in urban environments, if you don't have something to to, to um, 
steer you, um, you know, out of negative situations, you may get into trouble. And, uh, and music helped steer me in the right direction. And that's my parents embraced it because of that. My dad was like, anything that's going to keep him inside and, you know, off the, the corner, uh, I, I'm going to help him to do. And he saved up to get that money. And, and, and so to say that how proud your family is, it, it means a, a lot, I think, Blake, it is important for your listeners. Like, uh, you can't always judge uh, what you do with music and guitar by uh, commercial success. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you're inspiring people and um and you're and you're changing their lives w without even knowing it you know um and that's what, what, what's really cool and, and if, if guitarists and musicians out there are ever looking to inspire themselves um just try to help others and, and be a light to others like pass on gear pass on knowledge pass on equipment mm -hmm. pass on the love you know like the the eddie doesn't have to do interviews with me and, and be cool and, and and uh He's, he's, he's sending me a positive vibration that that's going to last in my soul forever. And I'm going to pass it on to other players and, and the story is going to repeat, but it's all good vibes and good energy. And, and it starts with pride on what you're doing. And, and when your family has, is proud of you, man, it, it really shows in, in the music. And recently my, my mom told me that she was, you know, mom, mom's from the, uh, that live in New York, are hardcore, you know, my mom, <laughs> It's a lot of things going on in New York and women are tough. And so it's hard to, you know, it's hard to get some, some emotions out of it. But my mom recently told me that, that, uh, that she was very, very proud, uh, of me. I think she had seen DMC on good morning America. Mm -hmm. And I think for her, she kind of puts, puts everything to go. Oh, oh, wow. Like, you know, it, yep. so it's, it's very inspiring, man. Oh, that's um, wonderful, that's, man. That's what keeps us playing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's that, that, you know, you never stop learning because, I mean, gosh, this instrument is so humbling. It's humbling. Oh, geez. <laughs> right. And, you just said that you're a better guitarist now than you were 26 years ago. And, yeah, and that you I were am. my idol 35 years ago. So, which, is, which just goes to show that you never, ever stop learning. And you're absolutely right. I, I am a phenomenally better player than I was even last year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, you can never, ever, as long as you have six strings, a piece of wood, and... Paul Jr., man, I love that axe. <laughs> I just got I just got it. I got to tell you, Ed, is my favorite. Um, and, just, and just to riff on that real quick, I'm coming out with my own signature P90. Oh, cool. Like our, our homie Dylan is making it. It's yeah. going to be called the, the B85, the Big KO 1985, because we oh, all know man. 85 is the, the year for me, you know, King of Rock. Uh -huh. So it's, it's, it's going to be a super P90. Dylan from the uh, Dylan Talk Tone is, is hooking it up. It'll be out soon. Ed, I'm going to make sure when he sends me out tomorrow, I'm going to make sure he sends you one too. Okay, cool, man. So, <laughs> the, the B85, and it's going to give you, it's, it's, it's the P90 if you want to play uh, all Eddie's riffs, rock box, kid rock. <laughs> but yeah, but for me, the P90 is so light. It's giving my shoulders a rest, giving my back a rest. I heard that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a big mountain fan, so there it is. Oh, Let's there you go. I love the mountain. <laughs> I saw them so many times live. 
That's what that that was my uh, next question. Blake, oh, I'm man. sorry. I have to ask Eddie one more question. Okay. Keep going, We're, man. We are New York cats, right? Yep. I love New York bands and um and my daughter recently told me, Dad, all of your bands you really love are New York bands. Kiss, Mountain, Leslie West. It, 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 Mountain was the quintessential New York band. I don't think people really realize that. Leslie West from Forest Hills, Queens. Yeah, man. He used to play in the Vagrants before. Uh, right. The Vagrants were a big band on Long Island in the city. They played. Yep. They were signed to Atlantic. And that's how Fields Popolati started producing them. Mm-hmm. But the Vagrants actually played my dad's high school. My dad went to high school in Long Island. Wow. And the, Vagrants used to, the Vagrants used to play high school back then. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. The Vagrants played so- my dad's high school in 1967. And my dad told me a, a story about how he had met this guitarist. And he was in a band called Mountain. He told me this when I was real little. That he met him and back in high school. Years later, I come to find out it's Mountain, you know, Leslie West. But Eddie... Uh, Mountain must have played Fillmore East more than any band. I saw them at the Fillmore at least uh, twice. <laughs> I saw them at the Capitol Theater in in Rochester. Uh. Not Rochester, Capitol Theater in uh, uh, upstate P- Passaic. Uh, no, I saw them in Passaic, and I saw them also. There's another Capitol Theater in um, um, it's in Westchester. It's in Westchester. Right. I forget. I forget the 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 city. Um, now they, they, cool. they would play That's weeks like a week engagement at the Fillmore. Yeah, four they, shows in a row. I saw them that 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 engagement. I saw man, they opened up with Never in My Life, and the lights and they came in with that downbeat at the same time. They yeah, the lights came on, man. I I mean, it's like. They were they were rattling the paint off the, the ceiling in that that place, man. It was it those was so sun cool. those sun amps. Like I've seen clips from those Fillmore shows playing with Leslie. Like Fields Popularity had six cabinets. Yep, six suns. <laughs> so it's three stacks. Yep. Leslie had three stacks. Yep. Six cabinets, and the cabinets I think are. are I don't know how many speakers. The bass cabinets have fifteens. Uh, fifteens. Yeah. And Phil's popular by nineteen seventy four. His, his his left ear was shot. Wow, <laughs> I bet you know because they all were... that wadding. But I can only imagine the quintessential New York band playing at the quintessential New York uh, establishment. There are tapes and CDs of those Fillmore shows, and just knowing that you were there. Man, I saw them in Central Park. I saw them. I saw them. At least six or seven times. Like, wow. Man. And then uh, Leslie had a band after Felix passed away, and he had uh, Mick Jones from Foreigner was playing. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, a good, I know Mick, I know Mick for many years. I know Mick since the early 70s. And, um, and he also, Kenny Aronson was playing bass, who's an old friend of mine too. And that was a great, that was a great band. And Leslie was playing a flying V. That blew my mind. I saw him playing a black flying V. You know, and 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 so because I don't every time I'd see him was with the junior, but then, yeah, flying V. I think he had a a, a P ninety pickup, and the neck pickup was taken out and it was empty, and he used it as like an actor. They were great, man. They had they had they played with such fire. And a little little secret, actually, I um uh, I had lunch with uh, Conrad Sundholm from Sun Amps. He's from he's Portland. right here. Yeah. yeah. 
And mm-hmm. I had lunch with him a few years ago, and we spoke about Mountain and Hendrix and all that stuff, and really nice guy. And um, the, the secret about those sun heads that Leslie played, those were PA heads. So mm-hmm. they had a master volume. So he could crank the amp all the way up and then adjust so he can get the preamp blowing up and then adjust the volume accordingly. You know, so because, man, I used I played out of Sun guitar amps way back in the day. And, you know, as a bass amp, it, it was great. You know, just plug straight in. It was rich and deep sounding. But the guitar, the guitar amp, it just didn't have that crunch. Right. Mm-hmm. PA head did. Because, because of the, because of that master volume. Up, you, can, mm. you can blow up the preamp. You know, you can really push the preamp. And that's how we got all that sustain and gain and crunchiness. You know, that's how that's how it worked for him. And that was really like man, that's like really the first master volume guitar mm. amp when you think about it, in terms of how he was applying a PA head as a guitar. Sure. And, and what's even more fascinating about that talking to Chris Benson um, when he was designing my amp and reading and when I was reading up on Benson amps, you know, Blake can chime in that Chris worked for that particular gentleman from um, um, from Sun Amps. Am I correct? Well, he was hot. Chris said that he was inspired by those circuits, heavily inspired by those circuits. He was working on yeah. a lot of repairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, so a lot of that Benson magic is because of Chris's um, uh, love for those sun uh, circuits, mm-hmm. yeah, and him doing his thing with them, and like, and uh, you know, really making them sing. And like, my, you know, my amp, of course, my amp is called the Rock Box, and it's it's named after, you know, one of your classics, and, and mm-hmm. you know, the, to me, and it, and I just have to just rave about how really great Benson amps are. I know you can talk about Eddie. Oh Blake, yeah, uh, I'm error right over here, man. That's just like killing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. cabinet and stuff. And I just had him make mine with uh, EO34s, and I had him take the power scaling out. I just wanted a real stripped down beast. And the thing is mm-hmm. great. It's just got such, I mean, it's such great clarity, and and uh, you know, it sounds great when it's pushed. It's just really a lot of fun. That amp. Oh, the yeah. notes bloom on a on a Benson very unique. Like to me, like when, yeah. when I hit it with pedals, it, it's it's not loose and flabby. I, 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 I'm thinking the pine cabinet is so concentrated and it's mm-hmm. so it, it it compresses the sound so beautifully. Well, everything contributes to the sound, man. So the where the cabinet's made and how he's um, voiced the amplifier and the speakers that are being used, and you know, it's just he's he's really a, he's a great builder. You know, he's amazing. And my amp has that extra mojo because you signed it, the inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's man. not because I drew, drilled on it before you got it. Are you sure it's not that? <laughs> Yo, Eddie played it before I, Eddie played it and touched it before yeah, I even seen it. Chris brought it to my house and I, I lit it up and I played my, uh, I played my 60, I got a 61 SG Les Paul, you know, so I, I plugged in, uh, that into the thing and cranked it up. It sounded monstrous. So that, <laughs> When I was a kid playing air guitar at the King of Rock in 1985, if I if, if anyone would have told me that, you know, years later I would I would have the, the pleasure of working with such great companies, producing for legendary artists, but really being able to talk to somebody 
directly influenced me. I was playing air guitar to your. Oh man, <laughs> like flattering. And, and but what's even crazy is that inadvertently, because of all the other great records you played on, like because I didn't know about Addicted to Love until years later. Till you're looking at the credits, mm-hmm. but just tremendously iconic um, songs and riffs, but you, if, you you could not have told me 35 years ago that I'd be in this position playing the great instruments I'm able to play and be able to rock with you. But just real quick, yeah. hey, the remix that you're on We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Tremendous pleasure of of um, getting him on the remix to me and DMC's new uh, song that came out last year, Ghetto Metal. And I think it's it might be the first time since back in the day that you played on the record for, for D. Am I right? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah it's been so, since the eighties. Wow. So there's a when everybody hears it, I can't wait for everybody to hear it. It's gonna drop probably the first of the year. There's a moment at the end of Eddie's solo when. D's vocals come back in. So it's Eddie's solo, Daryl's verse, and then my rhythm guitar underneath. And it's like the multiverse is colliding <laughs> for me. It's like, it's, it, it's it's something that happens at the end of this solo. It's, it's, it, it's everything that I've ever dreamed of. It's my hero playing a solo over my production and rhythm guitar. And then DMC is, it, it's, 
I don't know, for, for people who make music and for people who uh, play guitar, just I'm here to tell you that dreams do come true. So if you're if you're a 10 year old out there listening, you're a teenager listening, if you're in your 20s and you've been struggling, thinking that maybe music is not for you or you can't do it or, or no matter what age you are, if you're in your 40s or your 50s, if playing brings you joy, play it every day. Absolutely. Use it, use it every day. It, it's therapy. Put everything you can in, into it. And look, dreams do come true at every stage of your life. Um, you know, just, you know, everything that's great is happening to me now. I'm in my 40s and, and my career is, is the best it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So if I would have tapped out 20 years ago or fell victim to to um, depression or vices and things of that nature, I wouldn't have made it to, to, to rock with my hero. So I'm just here to tell everyone, stay in the game, the game of life. If you can wake up in the morning, be thankful for it. You've made it another day. Forget about tomorrow. I mean, forget about yesterday. Today is, is what's here. Be grateful for it and make the most of it. And, and just play. Sage advice. I mean, everything you said is true. And I can say the same thing for myself, you know, in terms of my journey as a musician. Um, you know, it wasn't easy back in the day, to gig, you know, just hit the pavement, you know. And uh, one thing about being a musician, especially being a, you know, a studio musician uh, for, a, for, a, for a minute, is that, you know, you, you, you develop thick skin. You have to have thick skin to survive in this business. And, you know, you can't take no for an answer. If uh, you know, you just you seek, you seek, you know, and you always kind of like focus on the ideal and focus on today. What can I do today to optimize my day? These twenty-four hours, not tomorrow, not yesterday, is is today. You know, what are you doing to make so player mm-hmm. in the moment right now? You know, because I mean, I was just up upstairs a minute ago. You know, working on my arch top. You know, working on some some licks. You know, just to just to be able to, you know, you know, because different guitars are, require different muscles. So mm-hmm. you got your strats, and you got your 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 the guitars, the electric guitars. But every once in a while, you pick up an acoustic guitar, and it requires a whole different application of of how you approach it. And those things, mm-hmm. you know, really create a whole a whole comprehensive approach to the instrument, which is good for everybody that's really serious about the instrument. Because to be a guitar player, man, I don't give a whether it's, a, you know, whether it's, a, you know, an arch top or an electric or a flat top. I mean, if it's a guitar, it's a guitar. And I love it. And I, I want to know about the history of the instrument. You know, I, I, I'm, I love studying up on old instruments, whether they're electric or acoustic or flat top or whatever, you know. And, and it's just that goes into the passion because, you know, when you vibe in on an instrument, it makes you want to play it. The more you're playing, the better you're getting. You know, it, it, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a reciprocal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things like it, sticking around in anything, but especially the creative fields, whatever it is, whether it's music or graphic design or whatever it is that you're doing in the creative fields, sticking around is so important because like, quite frankly, everybody would like to do this kind of stuff for a living, right? Like everyone wants to, everyone's like plays something or draws something or they do something. And and if they could do that all day, every day for a living, they probably would. Yeah. The reality is like, unfortunately, because it is, you know, it's a supply and demand thing. 
if there's a lot of supply of players, the demands, you know, there's only so much demand. And the only ones that are going to stick around long term are the people who really love it because you have to. If you don't really love it, you'll you'll find something else to do because it's easier. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, And that's you know, that's what I call being in the trenches when you're younger. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge mm-hmm. going on an audition. You know, you want to get it. Sometimes you, you know, you, you, you get it. Sometimes you miss and, you know, and they're, they're, you know, they're, the, the amazing thing is, is that there's so much to learn from failure. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as soon as the people really need to realize that if they're, if they're learning an instrument or want to pursue something, because, you know, uh, you just don't fall upstairs. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you just don't fall upstairs. You know, it, that doesn't happen. You know, irrespective of what you do, uh, you know, there's there's a journey. And in that journey, there are times where you may, uh, may fumble, where you may drop the ball. And teachable moment, that's a learnable moment. You, you learn from that, you know, and what you're not going to do the next time you're in a particular situation. And this, mm-hmm. you know, this is always something to learn, you know. And if you keep that, if you keep that mindset, you know, um, it, it, it really will pay off, you know, because so much of what we do is collaborative process. When you're working with an artist, you know, it, it's a collaboration. You know, uh, you're trying to get somewhere uh, with what you're doing and how you get there is, 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 the, is the secret. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of how you you collaborate, some people you know don't want to kind of bend. They don't want to bend. They want to stay in their way. They want to stay in their particular mindset about how they want to do something. Now, if that was their own record, that's the luxury of doing your own record. <laughs> you know, but if you're working right. with a producer, an artist, or an arranger, you have to find that common ground. You need to find. You need to give them what they're looking for to make this track. You know, uh, um, propel it to be something really special. And the beauty of it is when everybody's happy killing and then the thing sells millions of records, that's like really a, just a, it's, that's really <laughs> just like the, of the stars come together and it's, it's, it, it's special, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and sometimes that doesn't happen and that's, you know, that's a, that's a, a lesson to be learned as well, you know, and mm-hmm. it's such a different business nowadays than, than it was in years past. And, 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 you know, I don't know if it's necessarily for the better, but it's different and we need to embrace it, you know, mm-hmm. but um, it wasn't easy back then either. That's something I've actually said a lot. And, you know, obviously I wasn't around back then, but if I, you know, I try to study and read and talk to people and, you know, we people bemoan the state of the music industry these days. But I, I, when I look at it, I'm going, I don't know, you know, some things, yes, there is some bad, but realistically this has never been easy ever it's never been easy to make your living as an artist at any point there are thousands of bands that have toured and toured and toured and toured and toured during the 60s through the 80s that Mm -hmm. no one's ever heard of it again yeah and they worked really really hard for a really long time and it didn't pan out you're telling me that's that's easier than making videos and posting them to social media i don't i don't think so no i I mean i'm not I, i like making videos and posting them to social media I'm not hating on that at all. I just think touring and touring and touring is much more difficult. And that was the only way to get recognized. Now, if you just keep at it and you keep going, 
somebody's going to pay attention at some point. Yeah, you know, you know yeah. Like, I don't equate likes to dollars necessarily. You know what I mean? It does. Oh, it's yeah, because it's not. Yeah, you can't pay. You can't pay your bills with a bunch of likes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, the you know the streaming mechanicals for streams are just so. I mean, it's just, man, it's like when you think about the kind of bank. Cats like Lionel Richie and Bruce Springsteen and Prince and Fleetwood Mac were, were, were pulling in from the 70s through the 90s. I mean, it's just incredible. The mechanical rates on, on you know, on, on airplay, on terrestrial mm-hmm. radio, as opposed to, you know, what the streaming rights are on Spotify. It's, it's such an insult to, to, to the, uh, you know, to the composers, to the artists that are performing, that they're getting a fraction. I mean, you know. Zero point zero 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 four point five of one cent or something like that. You know, it's like, come on, man. Back in the day, you know, uh, airplay on terrestrial radio was three cents. That seems like a fortune now compared to mm-hmm. what a streaming rate is. So the mm-hmm. monetization thing is really a it's a big problem. I don't know how that's going to be sorted out. I really don't know because I mean, it's really putting a kibosh on 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 artists that are trying to make a living by by you know having their their music delivered in the way that is most commonly done nowadays because people aren't buying vinyl as much as they used to yeah there's an uptick in vinyl and you know people aren't buying cds even though i'm seeing that there's an uptick in people wanting cds nowadays that's all good you know but the uh, but the the rates for streaming which that's how people are listening to music mostly now you're not mm-hmm. they're not listening to their local radio station you know even though you know, uh, you know, the people that are having their records played on on terrestrial radio are, are making making some money from that airplay. But it, it, that's that's really, uh, you know, that's something that's going to have to be solved by the younger generations, I, I, I think, you know, uh, to come with something that's a bit more equitable. It's it's a really challenging thing because, you know, while the rates are pathetic and I think everybody I think everybody's pretty much on on board with that, except the people who own the streaming platforms. Yeah, uh, you know the what, people that own the streaming mm-hmm. platforms are you know some of them are owned by some of the record labels we're talking about. Exactly, exactly. So you know, but, like it's you know, um, it's you know, it, yes, greed is is you know, greed is a part of this thing. It's and it's it's a part of people just wetting their beak. Everybody wet sure. their beak respectively, as uh, to use that you know Godfather term, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, but there's 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 an imbalance right now. There's there is imbalance. yeah. But but I, I did want to say like the good thing is though, there was only ever so much room on the radio, right? Yeah. My stuff's never gonna be played on the radio ever. It's too weird. It's not it's not for most people. It's a bunch of noise. It's not it's not for people most people. It's never gonna be on the radio. But there are some people who stream it. So there is kind of like a good and bad there. Like it's lowered the 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 gate, so to speak. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, I, I yeah. put that you know, there's there's a fragmentation to all of this stuff that is that's true beneficial because you kind of it's up to us as artists to create our own musical communities. Of yes, what we do, we need to like minded people, and that's the difference. Thirty, forty years ago, the record labels were. Wow, man, they got the big billboard on on Sunset Boulevard, and we're pushing this out to all the me- major, you know, radio stations. And we're gonna we're gonna first try to break this out in 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 the Midwest, 
and we're going to do our mm-hmm. independent promotion, you know, make sure that all the, the program directors are in the loop on everything. We're going to push this record out. You know, then we're going to go to the East Coast and we're going to work our way west. You know, so it's big. It's like a it's like a it's like a shotgun that yeah. the, the pellets are coming out and they're spraying all over the place. Now with di- the digital, it's like really focusing on one little, one little area, mm-hmm. you know, and it's incumbent on us to try to find people that are like-minded, that like what we do. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge. Yes. Everyone in, in artists, you know, that's using these, 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 uh, these platforms to, you know, get their music across. So, you know, there's some good, you know, I mean, when I think about the cost of making a record nowadays, it's so, so much less than what it used to cost. It's much easier to produce a record and to make a really, really good sounding record. It doesn't cost mm-hmm. money. You know? So that's, that's an advantage that we have. So we can keep putting things out. We can keep right. producing, putting things out, put things, push, push your content out, just push it out, you know, mm-hmm. create, ge- generate that kind of, you know, that kind of community. Of, of people that like what you do and they'll share it with other people and you'll create something that, you know, it could be proven to be beneficial for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that applies to anybody that's trying to create anything, you know, yep. whether it's music or videos or whatever you're trying to do that, that applies across the board. That was great advice. Thank you. I agree with yeah. what you said. <laughs> well, we're getting close to the end of the episode here. Uh, and this is normally the point where I would give the guests the opportunity to, you know, plug anything they want to plug, shout out their, you know, their cousin or, you know, whatever you want to do right now. You're talking to a couple thousand people. The floor is yours to uh, do that. And then I have a couple oh, classic questions I, I wrap up on and, and we yeah, well, you know, say, say bye. Thank you for this opportunity to speak to you and all of your fans. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you get a, if you get a hot second, man, check, check out my album. It's called Acosia, A-K-O-S-U-A. Uh, it's up mm-hmm. there on iTunes, and um, and uh, I've got another album coming out in Q1 of uh, 23, and that's going to be called Elephant, you know? Cool. And uh, there's going to be about four or five tracks on there from back in the mid-90s. It just rocks. It's just killing, you know? So I'm, I'm really happy about that. And I may be doing some shows, uh, you know, uh, later this year. There's not much left to it, but uh, uh, or maybe early in 23 with my band. You know, but cool. right now for me as an artist, I need to, I need to, I need to be in the studio. Uh, I've got a lot of songs in my head that I need to get out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just like, they're, they're all up here and uh, I'm putting them down, you know, but uh, I need to just take that, do them, put them out in the ether and, uh, and, uh, and move on to the next song that I, um, I'm doing and just trying to put out things that I, I feel are just interesting and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, compelling and uh, in my my own voice in terms of w- what I want to say on the instrument today. Absolutely. I love that. All right. Here we go. Classic questions. And you're a New York guy, so this is going to be fun. But yeah. Firstly, first one is, what's your favorite boss pedal? My favorite boss pedal? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, I think uh, my favorite boss pedal is the yellow boss overdrive. First generation. OD1. Mm-hmm. The OD1. That's what yeah. I used on Rockbox, and that's what I used on King of Rock. That's, that's so a, great. That was a great pep. Get another one. Maybe I'll snag Yo, a boss every, track did, OD1 or did something. Did everyone like hear that? He said that he used the Boss Yellow SD1 on King of Rock mm-hmm. and Rockbox. 
So you know what I'm doing as soon as I get off here. <laughs> I'm plugging in the SD one and I'm I'm and I'm playing like it's 1985 again, man. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I yeah. love you, brother. I love you. Oh, that was a great pedal, that. man. I mean, mm-hmm. that shoot, man. I mean, what that was a that was a um a music man 212 on on a rock box with that pedal. That's and, insane. And my overdrive. And you know, the the music man's a great amp, man. I'm telling you. They are. You know, um uh those amps are really underrated. And that amp, I, that was the amp that was at the studio. I didn't bring it there. You know, back in those days, you plugged into what was there. <laughs> That's what I was telling. I was telling Blake last night. You know, that the story about the, the, the boss overdrive. I, I, I thought, I guessed your answer right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought you might pick that one, but I was telling him basically it was you showed up with your guitar and a pedal and whatever amp was there. You know, I'm sure Larry was like, let's get. Crane or whatever. Oh, yeah. oh man, Larry was so funny. Larry was so funny, man. We played in bands way before our successes. You know what I mean? And uh, I miss him, man, because he was really a good soul. He was just such a a kind, loving guy. Funny as all get out, too, man. I mean, that That's had awesome. to be dope to bring home that gold record for that record. I mean, after you guys had worked together in in in, in the seventies. And it's the dawn of the 80s. It's some new. People really don't know what's going to happen, you know, with, with rap. Yeah. And for it's, it's a Larry, because he he found he found his path. Because Larry could have played in all the funk bands and rock bands. I, I, I played in punk bands with Larry in 77. We played CBGBs. I played CBGBs with Larry Smith in a band. Wow. You know, so he could play anything. But, you know, and, and then I noticed, like, as the 80s came around, he started really getting into the hip-hop thing and the street thing, and he just, he immersed himself in, in it. And then the rest is history, man, because he knew what he wanted to do, man. <coughs> man, I want you to put some rock on this, you know? And he just want me to do my thing on that. And I was so happy to, because it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's like, Sometimes you do sessions, you don't know what's gonna you don't you don't really have an idea what's gonna come of it, you know, especially with yeah. a lot of different tracks. But that was really it felt like a, a it was a fun and a good day's work. Because that's your homie. It's it's different than working with a uh a Jim a Jim Steinerman because um Larry Smith is someone you grew up with, you hang out with. He yep. was a cool cat. Oh <clears throat> you know, the clock is running, but it didn't feel like it was running. Yeah, we toured all over America, man, Larry and I. Been Omar wow. Hakim and and Denzel Miller. We played in the band and we you know, we we had just one of those AMC uh buses kind of deal, those little home AMC things back <laughs> in the 70s. Oh my god, we went all over the place in that with, with an artist by the name of Jay Mason, man. That was uh that was a lot of fun. Got so to bring home the first gold record in rap. <clears throat> Is just phenomenal to me, man. Like, I, I congratulations. And honestly, that's uh, 2002. It's the 40th anniversary of this record, right? 1983. Next yep. year will be the next year will be the 40th anniversary of the recording of Rockbox. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's that's reason enough for me and D to come out there and <laughs> let's let's rock a huge show. Oh, that would be great, man. You know, 40th 40th anniversary. It's only one person that that I can be on stage with, and that's you. And uh, let's do it. Let's let's set that up. Let's oh, have the be Benson, Let's have the Benson Amp Fest 
to where we get all the Benson uh, amp players, uh, you, myself, Celeste, mm-hmm. and uh, and just have a you know one day jam in, in Portland in the woods someplace. Daryl will come out. Your band will rock, Eddie. My band, the Knockouts, will rock. Celeste will rock. And it'll be the Benson Fest. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. Can't wait to do that, man. That sounds like a plan. That does. That sounds like fun. I'll be there. (laughs) Well, Eddie, I'll be in trouble with the the fans if I don't get this question out before we close up. Go right ahead. And this is the one that gets a little dicey. People get a little uh, heated about, but it's important. What is your favorite kind of pizza? My favorite kind of pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like John's Pizzeria on Bleecker Street. Oh, yes. John's Pizzeria. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, man, that's that's like my favorite right now, you know? Yeah. I've, you know, last time I was in New York, I've been in New York twice, a few times this year, but I haven't gotten a chance to go to, to John's on Bleecker, you know? And um, I'm still seeking out, I know there are a couple places here, Um Actually, I can take I can take you around. Okay, I know cool. <laughs> you know, my my cousin is a chef, and he lives in Florida now, and um, and he was a chef at a place called New York, New York. Used to be on Barber. Now it's my, uh, my 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 good friend Robbie manages New York, New York, New York, New York steak. Are you talking about? Oh no, it's a it was a, it was an Italian restaurant where they they okay. some pizzas. You know, mm-hmm. and so my mm-hmm. my cousin uh, was a chef there, man. It was it was voted. Uh, this has got to be maybe, ooh, fifteen, sixteen years ago, maybe. You know, voted I think the best uh, pizza in Portland. But um, I know there's some good places now. What what do you like here locally? So yeah, I like Scotty's Pizza Parlor. It's really good for the New York style slices. Okay. Uh, and then uh, there's um, my favorite. It's like more of a uh, like New Haven style place. It's called Demos. Okay. Off of Burnside. Okay. Really, like as in New Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. cool. What's what's it's the like, distinction of the, the the how they make the pie? Well, generally, it's a it's a wood oven situation in okay. New Haven. If uh, and like and so you, the pizzas will have a lot of char. Some New Haven person gonna be like, "No, it's coal." I don't remember what it is exactly, okay. but oh. the pizza will have a lot of char on it. There's That's they're cool. kind of it's kind of like where New York pizza came from, if I'm understanding it correctly. Okay. Because yeah, so it, I've played there many times through the years. Yeah. yeah. So that place is really good. Uh, there's uh, Ken's Artisan Pizza is very good. Okay. There's a place here in Oregon City called uh, Mi Familia that does like the real Italian style wood oven pizzas. Very oh, wow. good. That's cool. And, and then there's a guy named Jerry. Okay. His, and, he, and he's got a place called Jerry's Pizza. He started it during the pandemic. He was cooking it in his house and it's Chicago style Thin crust. Oh, thin so crust. It's a, okay. it's a thin and it's cut into little squares. And you had to get on a waiting list and he would make you a pizza in his house and then bring it to you. And then he, for a while, had a pop-up in the Bear Paw Tavern, which is uh, right off on uh, Powell, if I believe. Right off of Powell? No, no, not Powell. Where am I thinking? Oh, it's in the, the Brooklyn neighborhood of Portland. Okay, sure. It's over there by the Aladdin Theater. Yes. Um. And so, and and then now he is now he is now searching for a place to open his own place. Wow! So when when Jerry opens that pizza, it's one of those ones you see pictures of it. You're like, that looks really good, and it tastes even better than it looks. So man. Jerry's Pizza, yeah. Man. Hopefully he gets a spot. Yeah, you got to hook me up, man. <laughs> I'll take you around. 
I'll take you to the spots. I got, I got the, I know, I know th- th- two things. I know guitar stuff and I know food. That's all I know. I don't know anything else. <laughs> I mean, Portland is such a great people though. If, 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 you know, if, if some of your fans aren't from here locally, Portland is a serious food town. It is really, no. it is really, I mean, I'm spoiled. I'm oh yeah. Really spoiled. <laughs> You know, and I've, yeah. I've I've been all over the world, man. But Portland is second to none. I mean, it holds it holds. So there's so many great young chefs out here. A lot of great restaurants in Southeast and you know Southwest mm-hmm. and Northwest. I mean, it's just like really, it's just a great, great uh, place for food. Yep, and that's starting to spread out into the burbs. So we're getting even more like there's just a ton of good food in this area. It's just crazy. Yeah, we're so spoiled. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, yeah, it's like kind of spreading out into, you know, spreading out a little further out, you know, mm-hmm. but man, yep. Yep. I mean, Ava Jean's was the place that was pretty dope, man. I haven't been there in a minute. That's a mm-hmm. great Italian restaurant. Ava Jean's is great. Oh man, there's so much. We could go on and on. We'd be here for another three hours. <laughs> listen to all the good a, spots. There's a new Italian place in town that my wife was telling me about. I, I forget the name of it, but she says it's the best that she's had, you know? Oh. Yeah. And, uh. And she knows she knows her food. She's she's killing. She's killing as a cook nice. too. You know, runs nice. a business and kills as a cook. Man, it's like amazing. <laughs> hey, you can't beat that. You can't no, beat exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Eddie, thank you so much for doing this. Ko, thank you for putting this together. This was amazing. I really enjoyed this this conversation. This is really awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you guys for allowing me to be Oh, oh thank you, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks, I, Big KO, man. Thank mm-hmm. you. And so such a pleasure meeting you, man. Yeah. You know, whenever I can soak up any type of knowledge um, and insight from you, it, it's always a pleasure. You true I, I sent you a, a note last year, a hero's more than a sandwich. That's an old movie from the <laughs> 70s. If you're a 70s cat, you can dig it. I know Eddie can dig it. But no, I, can totally it, I, I, I really, as far as I'm concerned, I, I really mean it. You are truly a hero of me. Thank you for everything you've done for me and, and all the guitar players around the world. I love you. Thank you. Thank you, Big KO. And you you got my number, man. If you ever have any questions or anything, man, just hit me up. I'm always here for you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Right on. All right, everybody. For Eddie, oh yeah, for Eddie, KO, this is Blake. As always, folks, good luck and good tones. Thank you so much. Good tones, man. I like that. All right. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Actually, I know you didn't. I'm sorry. There's no way that you enjoyed this as much as I did. I was grinning like an idiot the whole time. This is, uh, again, one of those moments. This was so cool. It's so cool to talk to somebody who has had this amount of experience and been able to have the kind of career that Eddie has. It's really a special thing. And the thing that allows me to be able to do that is the fact that you keep sharing this. It's the fact that you tell people about it. It's the fact that you keep this thing going. So please, 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 please keep doing that. Keep this in the top 5% shared podcasts on Spotify. In fact, let's, let's try to get up higher. Can we get higher this year? The year is almost over. Please share this with somebody. If you thought this was cool, please share this with somebody that you think would enjoy it as much as you did, or even somebody that you think might like it even a fraction as much as you did. Share this around. This is what keeps it going. Seriously, thank you so much. Hope everything's going well for you. Talk to you on the internet very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. 
I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.